The Lollygaggers Podcast appreciates good hygiene, a healthy diet, and basically all the vitamins. But because Justin practiced none of that kind of stuff, we've been gone for two weeks. In this episode, Jeff continues his superhero comic splurge with Invincible, while Justin slurps Vin Diesel and reads Bloodshot. Both Lollygaggers also look at the second half of HBO's The Outsider, based on the novel by Stephen King. Welcome to episode number 82 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm your sick host, Justin. Yeah, Justin has been really sick the past couple weeks, which is why we haven't been able to record. So tell them everything that's wrong with you. Uh, mentally? Or are we just talking We don't have time for the mentally thing. We have, uh, we try to keep it over oh, an hour. Uh, well, the first week, so we have, it's like our third week since we've been back. I got... The flu. Well, my wife got the flu. Okay. And I was like, I'm totally fine. I, I've, I've made it through the whole thing. She's okay. I even called my mom. I was like, Chrissy got the flu, and I'm not even going to get sick. And then the literal day after I said that, got the flu. So I had the why flu for about Why would you say that, though? Like, why would you say so, I'm not going to get sick? Like, why would you put that? I was fine. Your- I was thought it was okay, but it's my own problem. So uh, then that happened, and then that lasted for about a week, and I had a persistent cough, and um, so that kind of caused an issue. And then directly after that, I got like a sinus infection in my head that went down to my chest and I got me some, some bronchitis, uh, uh, bronchosaurus. I got some bronchosaurus. Yeah, I don't think and, that's a thing. Um, no, that's what it is. The doctor said it. Um, I got some bronchosaurus and then that was assisted by some walking pneumonia. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Walking, um, walking ammonia. I'm pretty sure it's not so, ammonia. Yeah. Pretty sure yeah, it's not a cleaning product. Yeah, I spoke. Yeah. Anyways, so that's what happened. So I've been coughing like crazy cool. like the past. Like, Let's try two, not to do weeks. that in the recording. <laughs> so if you hear a bunch of weird cuts, it's because Justin coughed a lot. Yeah, there's a jump cut. It's because I'm dying on my side is what's happening. Well, I have been doing all. So I've been reading a bunch of comics lately and stuff like that. But one of the things we're going to start with is we're going to start talking about The Outsider, which just finished up. A day or so ago from when we recorded this, a couple days before we are releasing this on the 11th. But uh, Justin and I reviewed, or at least did like a kind of a first impressions review of uh, of The Outsider on HBO uh, a couple episodes back. Uh, I think we both had gotten through the first five or five, I think it was five episodes. Like we did like the first midpoint. And we both were pretty, uh, pretty happy with it. Uh, now, we there's been a total of 10 episodes and they have now completed whether or not there's a second season i'm not entirely sure if that kind of information has come out uh i know that this is based off one singular book even though the holly gibney character is a recurring character in a couple different uh a couple different stephen king's stories and other stuff like that so uh it's possible they could be doing like a season two or it's also possible that hbo just might be doing the same thing that they're doing with Watchmen and just kind of let it hang uh, but Justin, what did you think of the latter half of the outsider? We're not going to get into the big summary. People can go back and listen to the previous episode if they want to hear that. But what did you think of the second half? Well, the second half gets pretty, uh, the, the fantastical nature of it starts to ramp up a bit. Cause you start really getting an idea of like what this creature is. I think, you know, by the time we talk about this, I think we can all, we can say that, uh, it is a, Baba Yaga, Boogeyman, El Cuco type well, of Cuco. creatures. That's what they call it. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just a, the name for whatever Boogeyman is in that particular culture. And in the second half, you start getting a better feeling of what it is and what it does and the rules and stuff. And it starts ramping up like the things that's happening to Jack and everything. Um, I very much enjoyed it as a whole. I have no problem with this show at all. It got me wanting to... Uh, read more Stephen King books again. So I'm trying to get back into um, the Dark Tower series. I can finally finish that up. I've been working on that for probably about a decade and a half um, because he writes about 80 books per per year. And I've always kind of like drugged my feet. I'm on Wolves of the Cala, so I'm a little behind on it. But um, I really enjoyed the way they created like the tension between what was going to happen. Um, I don't know... And when we're going to go into spoilers, because there's going to be a little bit of spoilers thing. Uh, but I think how <clears throat> I know you mentioned your little I got uh, beef. bone to pick. I got a, a couple beef. bones, actually. I got a couple bones. I, I think I have two. 
The one is the convenience as to which the, the conflict at the end was created. Okay, it's just so stupid. Right. Um, how how dumb that was created of you know, this really stubborn dumbass just wouldn't shut up and you know Right. So you know, he's, he's we're, we're just spoiling brother. it. We're just spoiling it. I got I don't I don't, like there's we, we've had time. People people are warned. Uh so like you're referring to Claude's brother, correct? Right. It's a very dumb, convenient who, way for it all to come to the end. Who literally and the entire his entire existence, his entire existence in the show is basically to be a jack a jackass. Like he's just a total jerk to them, which makes sense initially. Okay. But then once all of the cops and law enforcement officials and lawyer go to bat for his brother right in front of his face to make sure his brother doesn't get in trouble. He still is a total jerk off to them for the rest of the, of the show. That's, the, that's probably the biggest thing. To the point where he, for no reason, because there's no benefit to doing this, he reveals to Claude, uh, who Claude is the guy, he's been around since the very beginning, but Claude is the guy who the El Cuco has now been trying to copy towards the end of the show. And the theory is that when El Cuco, like a doppelganger, copies somebody, they have access to all of the person who they're copying's thoughts, idea, you know, memories, sights, you know, senses, etc. And so the rest of the crew, all of the different people like Ralph and Holly and whatnot, were were scheming for how to how to like take down the Okuko, but they were doing so without Claude in the room intentionally because they didn't want to let El Cuco know that they were coming for him. And so for no reason whatsoever, because it benefits him not at all, Claude's brother just reveals it. And it all, all the only reason it's done is to like, oh, let's make it go crazy so we can have a crazy ending. It it made no sense. His yeah, but I, the thing is, like, I think it, it could have so been the whole conflict with Jack at the end could have still been just instead of having him wait out inside that cave, have him wait outside the cave. Like, and he sees him coming and he deals with it. Like, to me, like that little bit of tension, that that little bit of conflict could have just been easily avoided. Yep. You know, there's um, no reason you couldn't have just had Jack there because. Knowing that that the caves at the very end, where like the entire show's final act takes place, like there's no reason you couldn't just had Jack there protecting him anyway. Like there's like he's there anyway. There's no reason to manufacture reason everything else. It's done, and so they can kind of bring, uh, uh, what's the name of the the guy who's being doppelganged to Claude. bring him Claude to the situation where he ultimately deals with it at the end, right? Because um, it's, I think it's an interesting matchup where you see those two kind of interacting with one another, and it, it, you know, because the a big thing about the whole story is, you know, um, damn it, the main character, the main character name? is Ralph. Ralph. Ralph yeah. has full doubt. You know, he's he's completely in doubt that this this you know supernatural creature exists, and there's a moment where he's literally two of them together and you know a lot of the stories about beliefs and and grief and and dealing with these things and that moment i thought was pretty cool so like but i think there had to have been just some other way to get claude there to be involved with the situation it's just kind of like a really dumb situation the only other bone i have to pick is holly's boyfriend dying is the worst because he's the most genuinely sweet guy i've ever watched in a tv show in a long time the guy who played him did a great job Mm-hmm. And he just got blowed up real good. Poor and Andy. it's sad. It's, an Andy it's just fan. so sad because he's he's like genuinely the sweetest character I've seen in a TV show in a long time. Played by Derek Cecil, and like, by the way. Yeah, and you think the whole time, is this guy kind of like because he's so nice and he's so sweet, he's like, is he part of the El Cuco's plan or does he is he not genuine? But then you just find out his tongue goes like, no, he's just a straight up genuine guy who loves this woman who is uh, like socially inept because of her, her uh, mental, some could call mental disability or mental advantage because she has a, uh, she has like a high functioning autism to her. And it's just like, it's, it's so sad at the end, that whole scene and like how she kind of like deals with it almost like in a matter of fact of, okay, it's over. And she's like, Jesus. And then like, you finally see like her emotions come out later on, but it's just like, the sweetest character, the nicest guy, and he played it so well. I'm like, son of a bitch, I killed that guy out of all of them. Yeah. Well, but, no, I mean, like, I don't have a bone to pick with that. That's fine. Like to me, like if you decide to kill off, like it makes sense. The fact that you're getting so up, so worked up over it sad. means it's a good decision, right? Like, like the fact that you cared so much. 
so I I have two other two other gripes. I, I generally very much enjoyed the show, but I did have like three complaints. We already touched on one. The the other complaint I have uh, is that I felt that the shift to the supernatural components of the show was very clunky. Uh, because for the first four episodes or so of the show, it was very down to earth. Uh, it was confusing because of all of the, uh, like, you know, his DNA is here. He was here and he was there. And when we were talking about Terry, Terry Maitland, which is the character who's uh, who's suspected, he was a suspected child murderer. And then it turns out he probably wasn't. And then it turns out by the end, we know for certainty he wasn't. And it was so confusing in the beginning and I went in not really knowing a whole lot, but then the shift into the whole supernatural component was so clunky. Like she, uh, Holly, as she's doing her investigation, cause she's hired by Terry Maitland's lawyers to do some sort of background and looking into things, uh, eventually tracks down another woman uh, who went through pretty much the same thing Terry Maitland did, which was she was accused of a crime and convicted of a crime this because of all sorts of physical evidence, despite the fact that there was a bunch of other conflicting physical evidence and eyewitness accounts that put her in different places. Now, she goes to visit that woman and then, lo and behold, randomly speaks to this this other stranger who happens to give her all the lowdown on this folklore about El Cuco and stuff. And Holly just goes with it. And like they try to explain it towards the end, uh, at the the very end of the show, where she's just like, you know, one outsider recognizes another outsider. I'm like, okay, that sounds great and all, but like the whole sequence from like episode five to the big meeting, I can't remember which episode that was, but it was a good like two meetings or two uh, two episodes or so. But there was like a big meeting between all of the the important parties. So Terry Maitland's uh, uh, widow, uh, Glory, and all of the different investigators, the cops, etc were going to be debriefed by Holly after she did her, you know, her investigation where she's essentially going to conclude that it was the boogeyman who killed, uh, who killed the kid. And it was in, in, in frame Terry. It was just super clunky. It was so clunky. And like, it was just, she was such a well-placed, uh, uh, tool to provide that kind of supernatural folklore backstory. It was really clunky as hell. And it felt like like the only, sorry, I, I think like the only realistic characters dealing with that, was Terry's wife and Ralph. Yeah. Are they the sure. only ones that were like, no, no what? The lawyer too, what? I think. I think the lawyer too, uh, uh, Howie, I think it was. Like he was, uh, he seemed, you know, like the skepticism was, I mean, it was the only thing that really makes sense. And, and it's just at a certain point, like you can make a case, like the case can be made, right? That there's a serial killer and the serial killer is doing this, is somehow gaining access to various people's DNA and blood, and they're using that to dirty up a scene in which they're killing children, right? And like you can make the case, you don't. There's no reason to include the supernatural component. So it, like it just felt so frustrating. But I think that often happens for me whenever I watch a Stephen King adapted television show or a Stephen King adapted uh, movie is that I always feel like there's a very difficult transition. Like I always like the premise of every, pretty much every Stephen King. Uh, story ever and i i always kind of like where the crazy supernatural stuff goes but i just i just never feel like the transitions work out quite well now the other my other complaint was that i felt like the back half was slow man like there were two like like you could have cut two episodes off the back half this could have been an eight episode season and have been a much much tighter story i felt like the the conflict at the end could have been one episode like yeah. the them getting there and them getting to the the final, I guess you literally call it like a final boss. Right. Uh, it could have been one particular episode, but like there was really a long drawn out sequence. I think they're trying to build tension or I guess maybe keep runtime. I don't know, but it, it was a little bit long. 10 feels like an arbitrary number. It's one of those situations where I just wonder, like we ordered 10 episodes, right? Well, why? Why didn't you? I mean, like, do you did you need ten episodes? Because I don't think they did. I think that you definitely there was like one or two episodes in the back half, the seventh and eighth episodes that just felt they ran on forever. And I do feel yeah, like the one where they're in his house in Claude's house. Yeah, that was a really long episode. Oh my gosh, like, super where long. Effectively, nothing really of interest happened, right? Um, and like towards the end, they did that whole kind of flashback to the cave stuff with the with the kids in the past of Georgia and how there's you know everyone kind of got trapped in the mine there and I was like like that was fine and all but like I don't know like well it made sense because I watched a little little vignette at the end of uh 
the last episode. And they're talking about how like the creatures drawn to the greatest source of grief for that particular person. Sure. And the source of the Boltons was those people being like all of his kin being buried alive in that one particular place because they're buried alive in the caves. So like it's drawn to the caves for that particular reason. Rather than being drawn to the local cemetery, it's, it's drawn to that that source of grief and, 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 and sadness. Oh, no, family, I, so. I get it. I'm just not sure. Like, like when we have, when we have Claude's brother, who is a, a factory of historical folklore of the area, and he's just there to drop exposition and also asshole. So like, that's jerk, a weird, do we really need yeah. the flashback too? I just feel like, couldn't we do one? We could probably just done with one of those, you know, either he just gives us the folklore or we actually see it. It just felt like it was overdone. I don't know. I always feel like with slow burns, like the whole point of a slow burn is to methodically get to the point where it feels like everything's going crazy at the end. And it just and then didn't ramp it up real quick. Exactly. And that's not really how it felt like absolutely the gunfight, you know, the sniping at, out front of the cave was like serious, but even the confrontation with El Cuco was kind of anticlimactic. So I don't know. Like I was a little, yeah, I just, I think I just got frustrated by how slow the back half was. And there, especially that one episode where I think I want to say it was episode seven, uh, could have been eight where it just felt like what, what, what happened? Like, let's go. I don't disagree with you. I still liked it a lot. I think it was great. Uh, Ben Mendelsohn is just, he's phenomenal in the whole TV show. And, uh, the woman who plays Holly is, is just great. She's just fantastic, and I, I can't wait to watch more stuff. Yeah, makes me want to watch. Though. Yeah, she was really. Yeah, really it makes me want to go watch like uh, Harriet Tubman and all that stuff because I thought she was fantastic. So, so, last note: Did you watch the mid-credit scene and everything like that? With the yeah, 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 yeah. So, like here, so there's they they dropped in a little teaser thing. I, I assume either for the potential for season two if they want to do one, or just to like make us feel all spooky and stuff because El Cuco is still out there. I think it's just for the spookies. It very well could be, but it also doesn't really make sense because we actually zoomed in and watched really closely when, when, because basically what happens in the mid critic scene is that it's revealed that Holly has a scratch on her arm in the same way that Claude had a scratch on his arm and Terry had a scratch on his arm. And these are the, this is the way in which El Cuco kind of marks his next copy, you know, like she never came in contact with him. She she stabbed him, but like his arms never moved. Nothing ever moved. Like we watched it happen. So like, there's a certain point where you'd be like, that's nice, but it's kind of revisionist history. Like we watched the sequence and it's just like, eh, whatever. Like, I don't know. I also think it's just for spooky's sake. Um, because I think, they'll never come back to this particular thing. But like you said, she's a recurring character in a lot of his stuff. I would like to see more of her character doing something else. that's not, you know, El Cuco related and stuff like that. So I thought the way I took it in the end was little spookies and then like, but not really. I don't think that they're going to get a, a a second season out of this. I I wouldn't, I think this is a beginning, middle and end open shut case where it's done. You don't see Ben Mendelsohn's character anymore. It's just her. And if they were to do anything, it probably just would be like a like an anthology series she, or something. Yeah, because yeah, or like she's the outsider, so it's just about her. And the book, it's not Could a be. book about you know, but that's that's about it. But like, I I don't really think they'll come anything else out of this. Yeah. Okay, so that's the outsider uh, second half. If you want to listen to our thoughts about the first half, you can go check out a couple episodes back. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, that was weird of you to listen to this and have a spoil it all for you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's fine. Uh, but we've been doing other things. It's been a couple weeks since Justin and I recorded. We got a lot to catch up on, guys. Yeah, right? I mean, I don't even know if we're going to be able to fit all the things that we wanted to do in this episode into this episode. Because uh, that outsider discussion went long. But uh, I've been reading some comics, Justin. Uh, I've been telling you that I have been on a superhero comic uh, streak lately. Uh, mainly because... We, this one is surprising to me because this is a very mainstream, yeah, so, I think, uh, uh, superhero comic. So the so setup for this is that I'm reading superhero comics because there's this new RPG that uh, I've been wanting to play and finally did actually get to play where it's a superhero ba- theme. And I love, the me- I love the mechanisms and I love the setting, the world building, how it works, and then like, the team building. And we finally got to play. And it's called Spectaculars. It's a wonderful game. We played. I, we finally got to play it. Uh, Justin, my character's name, uh, I ended up, my superhero's name is Big Pharma. 
uh, he's Big Farva, and he's okay. a he because we're set in the '90s, and so he he's basically like an old uh, Soviet Russian wrestler who learned chemistry because he's an inventor, so who learned chemistry so that he can juice himself up with steroids. Uh, but then he shamed him his family and stuff, and and headed headed over to Bastion City, where he now works for a pharmaceutical company uh, to uh, help a. Uh, Truth within fiction. I help see people, saying. yeah. Help people like erectile dysfunction stuff because his powers are density control, so he can make stuff like super heavy or super light. All right. And shrinking, uh, because he was trying to learn enlargement, but it went bad. Uh, so anyway, we played it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but anyway, that's like my inspiration for why I started getting into these. I read Black Hammer recently, and I got into the new comic, Invincible. Uh, which Justin has already mentioned is, I mean, I guess it's mainstream. You know, this is main. This is very mainstream. This is uh, Kirkman's like. You have Walking Dead right. and you have Invincible. This is like the two things that Kirkman's known for. Right. One so, of them has a ten-season-long thing on AMC. So right. So it's it's like. you know I mean like Justin already mentioned it. It's it's created by Robert Kirkman and Corey Walker, and so. Uh, it came, I think it first came out in the early 2000s, right? I think it yeah, was like 2000, 2003, something like that. I started reading it somewhere like 2007-ish is when I read it. So it's been a long time. So this so was recommended to, me, recommended to me by the same people I was playing that, that game with. And uh, I started reading it. And one of the one of the benefits I started reading it because it was on Comixology, it was on Unlimited. So like at least the first half of, half of the series. Uh, also, it has an end, I think, right? Isn't there like... Like an endpoint at some point. At some, I point believe so. Life. And there's been some spinoffs from it and stuff like that. Sure, so, there's always yeah. gonna be spinoffs. So the basic premise of this, if you're unfamiliar with Invincible, uh, is that this follows the the title character Invincible, whose whose real name is Mark Grayson, who is the son of a super superhero uh, called Omni Man, uh, who we learn is an alien, uh, but still looks human. Uh, of the, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Is it Viltramite? Like the Viltramite race? Uh, I mean, I read it too. You're, you're, as, you're as knowledgeable I'm, as sure. I. Sure. Okay. Uh, and so the Viltramite race is, I mean, it's sort of like Superman stuff, like where they're all just like super powerful. Like, like that's, and they live a really, really long time. Uh, and like the, for that, throughout the, the course of Mark's life, you know, he knows this. He's aware that his father's a superhero. His, his father's like alternate. Uh, you know, alter ego is basically like a like a travel writer, I think it was. And so all throughout Mark's life, he's ready and re- ready for getting his powers because he knows his father's an alien. He knows his father's a superhero and his father occasionally works with the Guardians of the Globe, which is, you know, exactly what it sounds like. A group of superheroes who protect the planet, etc. And at a certain point in his teenage years, 16 or 17, something like that, uh, Mark starts to develop his powers. And his power, and the powers aren't like anything particularly crazy. It's just like they, he, they, can, they can both fly. They both have super strength, super speed. Uh, they're both are nigh un, you know, indestructible unless they're you know, fighting somebody else of, of, of equal power. Uh, now, the, the comics kind of start off like with him, again, learning his powers and then kind of starting to do some, some local small crime fighting he gets into a duo with a uh with a teenage uh with a, a kind of his teenage female compatriot uh adam eve like a-t-o-m uh eve and so from from school and they kind of develop a will they won't they kind of relationship over the course of a lot of the the comics uh and then as they kind of branch out they get part of like a teenage group um i can't remember what they're called like teen not teen titans that's not right uh teen something or other teen 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 team that's what it was teen team that had robot duplicate uh rex explode and adam eve uh those were like the big group and they would do you know crime fighting uh and that's that and it this is like a i guess it's it's like a capes you know superhero like superhero comic where there's just like there are superheroes everywhere and there's super villains and smaller villains everywhere um I have read through, I want to say, 10 volumes of it now. I think I just finished up Who's the Boss. Uh, You've hit the big twist, right? I have. So, uh, well, so. I've hit, yeah, well, the big twist. There's been a couple big twists because one of the early twists, and spoiler alert, is that for all Mark's life, he looks to his father as this heroic savior of humanity. But in fact, his father's been lying to him this whole time. Like, Viltramite isn't isn't like the 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 story that that 
Mark's father has been telling him is that Viltrumite is an alien race and they sent him here as kind of like a protector of Earth and to help like, you know, make sure Earth is defended, et cetera, et cetera. But in fact, Mark's father is actually a representative. It's true that he's a representative of Viltrumite, but they're like these kind of crazy fascists and they want to uh, take over earth and they want like it's just like they're going to take their planet and they're going to share their technology and stuff like that with them but they're in charge right like they're like they're you're we're taking you over it's basically superman hitler is what his dad is which is sort of yeah i mean kind of right uh and and that and when that happens uh that is a major turn uh and they get in a huge fight and uh omni-man almost kills him and then finally he just runs away um and so then Mark Grayson and his mother, um, who have to like sit there and deal with this, like, like, what does this mean? Because a lot of the conversation that the two were having when they were fighting was recorded. And so, so much like everyone kind of knew that Invincible was the son of Omni-Man, but they didn't necessarily reveal the alter egos and stuff of Mark Grayson. Uh, so that was still intact. And so they had to kind of come up with this. They, they came up with this, this story that Mark's father, you know, in, in his alter ego kind of died as well. And so they have to deal with the fact that their father and husband has been lying to them this whole time. And not only have they been lying to them, but like is actually is, is basically, you know, enemy number one of humanity now. And so Mark has to deal with that. Then, you know, Mark's going through a lot of like basic personal stuff. He's finishing up you know, high school, he's got a girlfriend that doesn't fully understand what's going on in his life. He's constantly having to ditch her and that's freaking him out and stuff. Uh, you know, one or two of his friends, uh, especially once he gets to college, they get, he gets abducted and has to deal with that. And then like Eve disappears on him because she just doesn't want to do the college thing. And she clearly has feelings for him. And so it gets kind of awkward and weird. And so there's all these like really human storylines, uh, which, Honestly, I started to find myself more interested in than a lot of the superhero stories. That's what makes the best superhero stories. And I think is these supernatural elements within reality, which makes these guys like understandable. That's why I always liked a Spider Man or a Daredevil or even like a Hawkeye, because even though they're ridiculous, the most understandable and fun reads are those are like Dude, I totally understand what he's going through. Like, yeah. they're going through these real things. We talk about this in my writing classes a lot. Like, if you're writing a story that's like, and we usually talk about this in terms of place, but I think it's applicable here. Like, if you're writing a story that's like set somewhere like like crazy, like on a dif- distant planet or something like that, one of the easiest ways to kind of connect a, a reader to that is to is to find a way to make to to make the foreign or the alien familiar, right? And and then then you do the inverse of that if you're setting it kind of in a a story in kind of a basic or, or very plain, like a suburban household or an apartment complex in, a, in an urban city or something like that, then you find a way to make it unique and interesting. So like, I think that's what the human elements, the human storylines actually work out here. And Mark's a pretty cool guy, right? Like Mark's not, he's not, he's a little oblivious when it comes to Eve and stuff like that, but he's, he's a pretty good guy to root for. And the other thing is, is what I find interesting is as, as you're getting in more and more into the story, you're starting to see that he's, he's thinking a little bit about the Viltrumite experience. Right. And this is especially true as we get to like, like the couple, there's a couple other crazy twists. Like one of the other crazy twists is several volumes later, he like runs into his father again because his father sends like a representative from this bug planet to come, you know, bring him. And like, they have like a heart to heart and it looks like his father's changed a bit. Uh, and so, but he is, he is uh, shacked up with a new woman uh, on a completely different planet and they look like bugs. It's awesome. Uh, they made out once and it was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. Uh, he's got a brother now and stuff. So, but the Viltrumites come and they like wipe out the planet and now Mark's got a brother to deal with. And that brother is interesting because as we're seeing little like kid Omni-Man, which is I think the little kids uh, superhero moniker as we start to see him evolve, like he, he doesn't really know his father that well. And he's trying to deal like the consequences and the ramifications of his father's choices and like his father's theories and like why the Viltrumites are doing this or that, which is really fascinating. Mark's temper periodically shows up from time to time, partly due to the fact that he's got all these people that are kind of forcing his time on him. Like this stupid high school principal who somehow got a Dean job. I'm not exactly sure how that works. Cause I know people who are deans and there's no way they move from high school principal rate to a Dean at a college, but Hey, that's fine. 
Uh, there's a couple other steps that you have to worry about in between. But like the constantly saying, oh, you're never doing, you're never living up to your potential. You're never showing up to class. And, you know, he's going through a lot of those types of things that we see in teenage superhero type stuff, right? But um, it's really interesting watching hit, like the like where the story is going. Like I wonder, because I'm not done. Uh, I'm, I'm maybe halfway through, not not quite halfway through. And I'm kind of curious, like, how much does the Viltrumite storyline or the Viltrumite idea of, hey, we're just trying to give them order and we're trying to take, you know, give them order when there's all this chaos. And Mark sees all that chaos all the time, right? Because he's constantly getting called away to solve all these problems, right? He sees villains on a regular basis that are doing awful things. The very CIA that he was kind of working in tandem with kind of turns on them, right? I mean, not just kind of, does sort of turn on them. They, they're taking morally questionable choices. And while you can understand some of the choices that they take in terms of working with supervillains, like you, uh, you know, I wonder, I wonder how much Mark's allegiance to Earth and humanity gets questioned and gets messed with as the story progresses. And how much now that his brother is, is like kind of coming up and Mark's trying to take on like a fatherly role to him, like how that's actually going to, I don't know, sort of change his decision-making process when the Viltrumites do, I assume, eventually show up, right? So I, uh, I, I was actually kind of surprised at how much I like this one, uh, especially since it's not really, like you said, it's not really my style. Like I think the Black Hammer is probably more my style um, because it's less about superhero crime fighting stuff and more about kind of mystery this one is way more traditionally superhero crime fighting stuff but i will say this like a lot of the action sequences and things like that that transpire in in the comic almost all of them are like kind of at the very beginning of an issue and like we just sort of run through them really fast like like almost every issue starts kind of mid action with whatever villain of the week is is sort of transpiring and so much of the actual attention of the rest of that that issue is to like the human development, like what's going on with these relationships? What are people going through? I don't want to make it sound like it's a soap opera. It's not melodramatic in that regard. Like a lot of it makes sense. I think that Kirkman and whoever else has been writing on this does a really good job of trying to, to make, make the, the stuff that he's going through seem logical within his world, but not seem like silly and melodramatic. Now there's a lot of silliness and fun. It's also very funny, uh, there are some characters that show up that are. It's just, also horrifically violent. Oh, at times crazy too. violent to the point where you're just like, I I forgot how violent this was. Like, I just saw Kid Omni Man like rip apart like this one too, and I was just like, that dude's like, he's like an eight year old, and he's just like ripping people apart. He's covered in blood, and it comes out of nowhere sometimes too. You're like, okay, we're just doing classic superhero. Oh my god, he just we just bore right through his chest. So that kind of comes out of nowhere, which is really really fun. I think it's really funny too. My favorite character is Alan the Alien. Uh, he is wonderful. Uh, he's this uh, guy from a different planet uh, who uh, who comes to the first time he meets Mark is when he comes and, his, and Mark's father sends him out to meet him. Like, oh, you got to beat him up, and it's all because Alan pronounced the word Earth wrong, and he was actually being sent to the wrong planet. He thought he was going. He was supposed to be going somewhere else. Uh, so he's really interesting. We get a little side stories of him as well. There's a lot of like little origin stories that pop up here and there. Like Adam Eve gets one, Rexplode gets one, like each one of them kind of shows up here and there. We get like these little interlude backstories, which are kind of nice. Uh, a lot of villains recur. The Mahler twins are awesome. Uh, I love these guys because they're constantly fighting over who is the clone of the other and they owe it cause they share memories and they always assume that they... That's a little thumb to, to Spider-Man right there. That's what that is. Uh, it's, is it? Oh, okay, nice. You're, you read Spider-Man. I, I read Batman as a kid. I didn't read Spider-Man, so I don't know. Um, but uh, but anyway, like I'm actually a really big fan of it. It's been out for a really long time. Uh, I'm at that point where I got to start paying for it. Uh, and I think I'm going to because uh, I think it's worth it. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's really good fun. Again, not really within what I would normally pull into my reading sphere. Uh, so it was really cool to kind of go outside of it and still find something really good. And I'll say this, uh, Robert Kirkman, uh, I am not a fan of walking dead and I am way more a fan of this. And I've read some walking dead and I've watched some walking dead and it always just felt like the comic becomes a factory of sadness yeah. at, at episode or a comic 100. That's when I let it go. Yeah. That's when they kill Glenn, um, which is, uh, 
the you know the same moment where a lot of people gave up on the show too. But when they killed Glenn in the comic book, I'm like, I this no, this is not for me anymore. Yeah. So like, but this is much more like. There's the thing. Somewhere around early 2000 to mid 2000s, the mid 20 aughts, comic books, especially your big hero comics, took a big turn where they realized people really don't care anymore about action figures hitting each other anymore. They just cared about real life stories. My favorite Spider-Man stories was when he was broke and a teacher. And it really wasn't about, you know, him fighting Moreland or these weird characters. That's a little close about, to home, doesn't it, Justin? Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a day-to-day challenge. Uh, the, which I think you should read at some point, the vision comic about him trying to have a family. One of the, it's by Tom King. One of the best stories I've ever read. Um, it's so great. There's I talked about Miracle Man on this podcast a while back. That's more about him dealing with uh, post-traumatic uh, stress and stuff like that. This is clearly about a kid who thought his father was the golden hero and then comes to learn that his father's really not who he thought he was and is dealing with that. And his father goes to another place, yeah. starts a new yeah. life without him, and he has to deal with those types of things. So it's it's and that's only the first relatable act too. stories. And that's only the first yeah. act too, because it keeps going after that. Like like really Mark trying to find a way to like do the right thing. Like he's constantly reiterating the fact like I do what I do because it's And the he's right battling thing with the fact is is it within his DNA right. to be a piece of garbage? Because or can he's got he his temper. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or can he or can he go away from that? Which I can tell you from the experience I have as a teacher, Jeff, you wouldn't understand because I'm a teacher. Okay. You wouldn't yeah, understand. I'm a professor, so it's different. Yeah. Um, where the, you have these kids who are battling with, of course, I'm the only one who understands this because I'm a teacher, uh, that are battling with their shitty parents. And if they are just bound to be shitty too, or if they can create something better of themselves, or if it's just within the DNA of their life. And so this is very relatable mm. stories, which makes these comic book characters that, you know, you still have these moments like your civil wars or your uh, secret wars, which is just like these stupid moments of, let's see this person fight this person. It looks really cool. And, and, and thing. You know what? It legitimately looks pretty neat. All right. The story is lacking, but it's neat. But to me, the, the my favorite comics are these large in life, like your Spider-Man, your Batman, but then they're relatable. And then you have someone like a Tom King does something great with Vision, then destroys Batman by having him completely related to Catwoman and just playing just the tip for like a hundred uh, comic books and it doesn't okay. make any sense. Okay. Justin's spiraling out of control. Uh, so anyway, pulling it back. Uh, if you haven't taken a look at it before, if you're like me and you're just sort of like, you know, on, 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 on the periphery a little bit and, and you're kind of, it's a good one. Yeah, good this one is one. actually a really good one. And uh, I can't, I'm, I'm super glad I read it uh, and I, I'm super glad I'm still reading it. Uh, I probably will read a little bit more slowly now as I spread out some of the purchases, but uh, definitely enjoying it and really want to know where it goes, especially as it relates to uh, to Mark and Eve, because I'm I'm totally shipping them. And if uh, if they don't end up together, Kirkman, you and I are going to have a problem. I'm just going to say, say it right there. So uh, there we go. Uh, all right, Justin, uh, what have you been doing these past few weeks? So, Jeffrey, you know how much I love Vin Beasel. I talk about him all the time you do right? it's really annoying i get texts at like two o'clock in the morning it's like, and it's did just, you see the most recent preview for fast and furious i just want to be like no i think it's nine I, I, it's ridiculous uh but shave his love, head to make himself look yeah like vin diesel and i always say it was above family that's what i always say justin all works time. out all the time so he looks like with vin no diesel. effect with not much effect <laughs> um like when you compare me to like say the rock i'm a schlub you know, do you know uh, put, Vin it, Diesel, uh, huge D and D tabletop role playing guy? You know that, right? He is. That's what yeah. the whole uh, what was it? The Witch Hunter was based yeah, off was of based his, off his campaign D and D character. I remember Anyways. several years ago he did like a like a one shot with uh, the critical some of the critical role cast like Matt Mercer Matt Matt Mercer and stuff like that did something for him. So he's uh, so anyways, he's a my love for Vin Diesel is being culminated through a comic book called Bloodshot. Um, I thought it would just be a funny way to introduce it. Uh, so I read Bloodshot. This is a Valiant comic. So you have like your major, your major uh, hubs, right? You got your Marvel, right? You got your DC, okay? And your image is like your independent comics. Whoever is an image, like 
Kirkman owns Greater the rights. Comics, right? Yeah, idea? he owns the right to Invincible and Mark. If he wants to put Mark anywhere else, it's his. He can, that's what he controls. You know, that's his character. So Valiant is basically like, I'd say your fourth one. There's also Top Cow and there's a couple other ones, but Valiant is kind of the best one. They have, they have like their own like Avengers group. And like the first one, the first major character that they had with this in a Valiant group, there's Man of War, which I want to read to. But the, like the first main one was Bloodshot. And so Bloodshot's coming out with a movie here, I think in like two weeks, starring Vin Diesel. And I was like, you know what? Let's read the comic book. And then let's go watch Vin Diesel get shot up here in a couple of weeks or whatever. So Bloodshot is a comic book by Valiant Comics. It is created by Kevin Van Hook, Don Perlin, and Bob Layton. Um, and basically it came out in, let's see here, 1990. No, 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 no. Uh, his first appearance was in 1992, which is a while, long time back. But his comics came out early 2000, like his own idea of his, like his, the, like the reimagining of the character. And so basically the idea is you have this main guy named Raymond Garrison, and he is like the perfect soldier. And they send him out when they need something done. Um, but he slowly finds out that every time they send him out to do something, um, he, well, he doesn't slowly find out. He finds out because someone uh, grabs him. You as a, as a reader slowly find out that every time they send him out on a mission, he has a new family that he's saying goodbye to, and he has a new mission. But when you see it from without his perspective, it's completely unrelated to what's happening. So he basically is infected with these nanites, and these nanites have the power to kind of like regenerate him 100%. So if he gets shot, he'll be perfectly fine. The only thing that he needs to kind of supplement these nanites is they need to take protein in. So he has to eat a lot for them to work properly. And so one day he goes out on a little trip. And the trip was to stop this, uh, this girl from being kidnapped. And something goes awry. And he gets abducted by uh, a former scientist that was working in the same facility as the group that created Bloodshot. And they kind of like correct his memory and say, hey, the government's lying to you. You're not who, the, who you think you are. They've been basically turning you in and wiping your brain every time and coming up with a new scenario to convince you to go out and do their dirty work because you're basically invincible. So no matter what happens, you'll be fine. And you're an asset that they use over and over. So he kind of like starts trying to understand, like, okay, who am I? What's this whole thing? Um, and he tries to investigate the woman that was supposed to be his wife. Turns out he was part created by the scientist by this thing called the – hold on. It's the PRS, the uh, – where is it? Where is it? The Project Rising Spirit Program. And in this Project Rising Spirit Program, this main scientist was, a, was kind of head of it. He used his old, like, high school book to come up with memories for his brain. So a girl he had a crush on in high school was his wife and these like memories he had. And these nanites are starting to become self-aware and they start communicating with him. And when they start communicating with him in his brain, they're like ghost representations of his children and these like memories. So they kind of like talk to him. It's a kind of really interesting type of like dynamic. So basically what the story is, he starts getting his memories back try and get to the bottom of it. The government wants them back, so they just keep beating the hell out of him. He comes in contact with this uh, woman called Sayak Killer, who is another experiment by the government, but what she does is she can release an EMP with her brain, and all this is through nanites as well. Um, and so she kind of has this, she's a, a basically a dirty bomb anytime they need And um, they get in contact he helps her out, so they're kind of working together now. And he also works with a nurse that he like hijacked her her uh, ambulance, and she kind of feels safe around him, even though he's murdered a billion people around him. And she kind of like works together, and so they end up trying to go back to the facility where he was created to try and get to the bottom of everything, figure out who he is. And the whole first arc, so I got the definitive edition of the trade, which is like thirteen comics. The whole first arc is him getting to this facility breaking in, being just demolished constantly because they basically blow him to pieces and you know, break things off, but he's able to regenerate and stuff like that and finds out that there's 
a deeper thing to this whole program than just him. And it's his job to kind of like stop it. So <clears throat> the comic book is ridiculously violent. It is insane violent. Um, you just see him constantly being torn to pieces because his body can constantly regenerate. Um, there's multiple horrific bifurcations and uh, lots of bloody, bloody stuff, which visually looks pretty cool. But I sort of felt like, okay, all right, we get it. Um, so it makes me wonder how this movie's going to be looking forward if they're really going to. It's probably going to be a push the level. I think they're going to focus <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the romance. I was looking up, by the way, on Rotten Tomatoes to see if there's any early reviews. And this one's pretty amazing. This is by Jesus Palacios uh, in the full reviews in Spanish. But the blurb they have is, quote, Vin Diesel may be the great bald hope of current action films. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty okay. damn good quote. I like it. Okay. The movie comes out this weekend. It's March 13th. Does so. it? Are you going? Um, yeah. I might. I probably will. You know, I might as well spread my uh, my bronchiosaurus to everybody else. You know. Yeah, because people um, plus, people aren't aware of uh, you know sick people. Are you getting looks on the street? Do you like wear like a mask or something? No, but my my uh, administration's like, yeah, right, man. I'm like, I'm good. And every time I <laughs> cough, I try and turn stuff. Like, I'm totally fine. I just got a cough. I can't stop. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, yeah. So, um, uh, how would I rate this comic? It's fine. Um. Valiant is basically they they created their own little world. There's him. There's Man of War, which is a really interesting looking character. I want to kind of like get into the whole Valiant universe of these of these different characters, and maybe even read the like watch read his first one, watch Man of War's first one, and kind of read the moment where they all get together. I'd like to see that. Um, just kind of get an idea of what it all is together. But it is very much like it's if Wolverine was mixed with the boys, you know. Where it's like I'm gonna be insanely violent and crude, but you know, kind of have a story behind it. It's interesting. It hasn't drawn me in completely. The art is very, very good. It does shift here and there. I think they get a couple different artists with it, but the art's very good, kind of gritty. But it's like your normal. There's there's no special look to it. I'm at this point in my uh, reading of comics where I want to see some unique art. I love. Unigard. There's a great run within the Brubaker uh, Daredevil run where it's almost all painted and it's beautiful. I love that stuff. Uh, Old Man Logan looks fantastic by Steve McNiven. Steve McNiven is one of my favorite artists and stuff. I'm into specific, either hyper-realistic or artistic looks. There's an Old Man Logan run that came out more recently that's almost like, again, like, like paintings and big splashes of color. I love that type of stuff. I'm also more into comic books for art that's what got me into it in the first place and to me this is more kind of like your run-of-the-mill type of look maybe it's because they're trying to create this this character to kind of like be a main integral part of this of this universe and valiant um but i thought it was fine i don't know if i'll buy another trade of it i'll probably finish up this trade um i have a couple more to go like two things something like that and then i'll probably try and read some man of war and some other characters trying and get the whole picture and see if I like it, you know? Um, yeah. So overall, it's fine. But it just gets me super jazzed to watch some more Vin Diesel, you know? Because okay. okay. the one thing I know about Vin Diesel is I want to see him get blown to pieces with shotgun blasts, you know? I'm going to look forward to it with this movie. Because even in the preview for Bloodshot, he's getting torn to pieces. But then he, like, comes back to life and stuff like that. And he, like, regenerates. Yeah. So he's also very pale. It's interesting. I worry if he's getting enough sunlight, you know. Yeah, like the big thing about the comic book too is like if he these nanites, if they get out of control and it's happened in the past, they create like this. I guess it would be like a blob type character that can no longer control itself. So he's basically also a walking time bomb if these nanites get out of control and they could wipe out an entire city. Which they did, and the government covered up and stuff like that. They turned into like a plateau and everything. So it's it's an interesting story. But like I said, what I'm looking for more in comics, like with you, I need a deeper through line of like, what does this mean? Uh, yeah, he's badass. That's fine. But I want to know, like, why is he badass? Like the, my favorite comic book <laughs> of all time. Okay. Is is Old Man Logan? 
And yeah. he's so badass in that story. But what's behind it is grief and sadness, and it's great. Like th- this doesn't have much depth to it as like say so, like an old man Logan has. So, anyways, flesh out by Valiant Comics. Uh, if you haven't read it, give it a shot. See if you like. Um, I just like that we both were talking about comics this week. I know it's so, great. I got another one coming up too. Uh, I, I that mean, I gotta read another one. What are we doing? Here? I might. I mean, we're doing a podcast about comics and games and movies. So yeah. Oh, okay. 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 But yeah, I might. I mean, I have a lot of stuff backed up now because of our two week hiatus because of your sickness. But uh, but I do have. I might be doing another comic next week because it's rel- It's related to a Kickstarter as well, which is interesting. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I might be doing that. But I'm gonna surprise you. It's probably one you haven't read. I th- actually, I think I know it's one you haven't read. Uh, it's the type of one that's a little bit more. Oh, also, it has a uh, it has a forward by Damon Lindelhoff, and like he's my boy. So you know. Well, there you go. That's right. what it's all about, right there. I think uh, we're gonna go ahead and call it there because uh, we are pretty far into this episode already. Uh, so yeah, even, we got a lot. Of eh, talk we already kind of did a joint discussion at the beginning too. So. Uh, so anyway, if you're listening to us and you like what you're hearing, uh, and you want to get more of our content, you can go up on our website, thelollygaggers.com. We got a bunch of other stuff up there now. We've got uh, live plays from Justin doing some World of Warcraft uh, rating and stuff like that. We've got. Oh, uh, I'll be doing also Ori. Ori sequel came out today, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna record that and put that on it too. I'm I'm so looking forward to playing that game. Nice. Ori and the Blind Forest is so good. I'm so looking forward to the sequel. We've I'm got, excited about it. We've got episodes up there of our Adventures on Lollygagging podcast where I, where I and a bunch of my other friends, we we do a a ongoing Zweihander campaign. Uh, we've got videos up there now uh, of some of our Shinobagami RPG plays uh, that we've done the past few weeks on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash the lollygaggers. And pretty soon uh, we're going to be starting up uh, another campaign, an RPG campaign that we're going to be having on Twitch, uh, weekly or bi-weekly, something like that. That's going to be Mutineer Zero stuff. So we'll talk more about that once uh, once we settle it. Hopefully, we'll have a session zero this weekend, and we'll start recording episodes pretty soon. Uh, you can also, if you want to reach out to us, if you got ideas on stuff for us to read, like I'm I'm really liking this whole take recommendations from people. Uh, so uh, this whole invincible uh, read for me was was based on a recommendation. I've taken a bunch of Justin's recommendations in the past. Uh, Justin never listens to any of mine, but that's fine. Uh, so if you have any ideas, I'm my own man for us right. to read. Uh, catch us on Twitter. I'm at Lollygagger Co. Justin's at Buys Justin. Uh, and uh, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little like, subscribe, review at some point on any platform it is, wherever you're getting us, uh, that would definitely help. Uh, and so, Justin, I think I'm going to end uh, this episode pretty simply. I just talked about earlier this episode a superhero I created uh, to function within the 90s as a post-Soviet uh, professional wrestler. Uh, what, uh, what, what would you do? What would you do? It's got to be 90s. It's got to be in the 90s. Yep. All right, my, my guy's name would be Backpack and Bandolier Guy. Um, and basically, if you look at the old 90s comic books, everyone's got shoulder backpacks and bandoliers on. So my job as a superhero, I'm more of a support superhero. I run around with them, and I'm able to generate these things out of myself to give them when they fall off their body or get shot off. So, like, I'm Cable's best friend. Um, I'm a lot of the X-Men's best friend during this time. And basically, my job is to uh, give these guys more backpacks and bandoliers to help out with their uh, with their outfits. So I'm more of a support character, but very much needed in the 90s. So that was what I would do. 